Hello, and welcome to Smart Pill, a podcast where each episode delivers concentrated knowledge on one specific topic. I'm your host, Keith Derrick. The podcast is brought to you by the WHRO Emerging Leaders Board, a diverse group of young professionals who are passionate about bringing public media to a millennial generation. Today, we bring you a different kind of Smart Pill. PBS hosts a documentary series called Independent Lens. The Emerging Leaders Board hosts screenings of these documentaries called Indie Lens Pop-Ups. These pop-ups are a neighborhood series that bring people together for film screenings and community-driven conversations. The screenings draw local residents, leaders, and organizations to discuss what matters most from newsworthy topics and social issues to family and community relationships. While the COVID-19 pandemic has required us to get creative in how we continue these community events, it has definitely not stopped us. With a little creativity and some technology, we are able to screen the documentary, record panel discussions, and still have a vibrant discussion via our computers. We can definitely not wait until it's safe to see and engage with everyone again. Before Oprah and Arsenio, there was Ellis Hayslip, Mr. Soul. From 1968 to 1973, the public television variety show Soul offered an unfiltered, uncompromising celebration of black literature, poetry, music, and politics, capturing a critical moment in culture whose impact continues to resonate today. The panel discussing this wonderful documentary includes Jerome Langston, regional arts and culture writer for the Hampton Roads area, Jennifer Chapman, Regional Engagement Coordinator for the Richmond Ballet, and Anthony Stocker, Director of the Norfolk State University Theatre Company. The panel is moderated by Tamika Hopkins of the Emerging Leaders Board. Mr. Soul premieres on WHRO TV 15 on February 22, 2021 at 10 p.m. Sit back and relax because it's time to take your smart pill. Thanks for joining us for this post-event discussion. We're going to dive right in with our special guest, Jerome Langston, Regional Arts and Culture Writer for the Hampton Roads area, Jennifer Chapman, Regional Engagement Coordinator for the Richmond Ballet, and Anthony Stockard, Director of the Norfolk State University Theater Company. Jerome Langston is a widely published arts and culture writer whose work has appeared in the Virginia Pilot, Style Weekly, the Washington City Paper, Beer Magazine, amongst many others. He currently works as a full-time editor for a leaning media intelligence company, and his arts and culture online magazine, The Langston Review, will debut this fall. Jennifer Chapman is the Regional Engagement Coordinator for Richmond Ballet, the State Ballet of Virginia, and Project Manager for her partner's film company, Scribble Cinema. Jennifer holds a Bachelor's of Arts degree in Arts Administration from the University of Massachusetts Amherst. She has helped to establish a community arts program in the Vibe District in Virginia Beach called Story Exchange and has worked in varying capacities with many arts organizations in Hampton Roads. Most recently, she served on Virginia MOCA's Community Advisory Group for the exhibition Shifting Gaze, a Restruction of the Black and Hispanic Body in Contemporary Art. She has been a member of the WHRO Emerging Leaders Board for three years. Anthony Stockard is the director of Norfolk State University Theater Company, Virginia's most nationally recognized collegiate theater program and America's number one most nationally recognized HBCU theater program of the last five years. He has directed more than 60 productions for professional and university stages. Since his arrival at NSU, the theater company has gained historic national recognition and has garnered record-breaking attendance Recent national honors received were from the Kennedy Center American College Theater Festival for Distinguished Production and Performance Ensemble and Distinguished Performance by an Actor in a Play for the production The Brother Size. The production beat out more than 1,300 productions that were entered in 
the festival and involved more than 200,000 students nationwide. In addition to his work at NSU, he currently sits on multiple theater boards across the country. So thank you for all being here tonight. We're very excited to have you on our panel. Let's get right into the discussion, shall we? So I guess starting with Jennifer, start with you since your last name starts with a C. Uh, what did you think of the film? Yeah, I mean, the film was incredible. Obviously not uh, growing up during that time. I, I wasn't really familiar with the with the show Soul. So for me, it was like a history lesson uh, in an hour and 15 minutes of kind of just back to back uh, mind blown on the people that I was seeing who kind of got their start, um, their first live performances uh, on Soul and how they kind of skyrocketed. I really took away, you know, from the film, just that that community that was that was built and maintained for such an unfortunate short amount of time. Um, but it just kind of shows the impact that that show has trickled down over generations since then. So it, it's a phenomenal, phenomenal documentary. Definitely some great points, especially what you mentioned about the time period and Jerome and Anthony just speaking about what Jennifer mentioned, you know, what was happening in your communities through 1968, 1973? I was um, not in the world yet. Neither was but, I. Um, <laughs> Neither was I, actually. Yeah, so what was nor, going on in my I. community? <laughs> Everything, I guess. There was a lot of time in this country for people of color, period to navigate what it meant still, as we do today, um, but especially then, what does it mean to be both a citizen and a um, person in a country where your place and space is not um, equal, well-defined, supported? Um, so communities were still in segregation. Um, and a lot of the world was living in different bubbles on the same land. Yeah, those are um, absolutely great points. Uh, you know, we were like all of us said we were not there for, you know, in the time period. Um, but, you know, just knowing our history and things of that nature, you know, we can reflect on the things that happened in that time period. And so uh, since Anthony just answered Jerome, uh, you know, how have artists, the arts, artists and the arts influence our social and political culture? Do you think artists should be more or less involved in the political discourse? Just to piggyback off of what Anthony said about, you know, the time period and all the things that we were fighting for and civil rights. Um, how do you think that, that that has influenced social and political culture? Actually, can I can I just start with my impressions of the documentary? Sure, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, okay, because yeah, actually, I really, I really like that question. It was a really remarkable um, cinematic experience. Um, from my standpoint, I really was not familiar with Ellis, which really surprises me because I work in this space. Um, so when you're talking about someone who is such a prominent curator of the arts and especially Black arts during that time, it really surprised me that in, in what I actually remembered um, before I was um, actually when I was invited to join um, this panel, I actually heard of the show but I actually didn't know who he was because it did actually happen um, really shortly before I was actually born. But it was um, it was very affecting. I think that his uh, I think his niece I read Melissa was the actual filmmaker, and she did an incredible job. Um, not only did it cover what the scene was at the time, but it also covered his own life. It was a biopic. 
um, as well as a documentary that was really chronicling what Black arts were um, at the time. The thing that I really walked away with was just how different those times are then as opposed to now, because really at that point, Black art itself was protest. It wasn't directly even about the content, but just to present, you know, Black dance and Black theater and poetry and in jazz in that way to even occupy space on television, especially on a national level, was itself a form of protest. Um, and so that was the thing that really struck that really struck me when I was watching this work that Ellis was really committed um, to doing. As far as now, I really think we're in a, a beautiful place where we really have autonomy. And so I, I don't think as much as in terms of pressure, as much as I think in terms of, you know, what do you choose to do? Because we actually do have that freedom. Um, one of the things that came up a lot was, you know, whether you're making art for art's sake or if art has to um, be aligned with community uplift. And so, you know, part of the Black arts movement was really in response to white, white supremacy, but it was also, it was a very beautiful exploration because it wasn't just external, it was also looking internally and embracing the range of blackness, which his show really demonstrated very well. So as far as now, I just, I, I, I feel particularly grateful that we live in a time where as black creatives, we just have autonomy to do what we want to do. Um, things will never be perfect and, and it's always going to be a journey. Um, but for me, it's really about gratitude, the, the things that they endured, um, the statements that they had to make. We just really, it, it's just, it's, it's, evolved, thankfully. Um, so it, it's beautiful to be a Black artist and not feel like you have literally the weight of, of your community on you um, all the time. I mean, for me, that can be quite suffocating. And there is a lot of trauma that, and so I think even though we embrace the responsibility, most of us do, um, I would say it, it's, it's beautiful to be able to just create and just be. And I think that that really is a testament to the sacrifices that the prior generations made um, on behalf of, of all of us. Yeah, those are great points, you know, that Black artists do have the opportunity to do make social and political statements, but they're not, they don't have to do it. Their light is not the only one that's shining on them. So I think that's, those are really good points. Um, and Anthony, I apologize if you would like to tell, tell us your thoughts on the movie as well, you know, go ahead. Well, my initial thought was he was like the first African-American kingmaker, king and queen maker with 65, 68% of all black people in America with televisions watching um, this show. There was no one who graced that show that was that is not like legendary right now. Um, the audience it reached was just it was just crazy. It, it makes Oprah pale in comparison, you know, with her Oprah face. Um, <laughs> it, it really did. It was just, you know, cause some of those people, he would find them and put them on there. They were not stars that were on the show, like a late night talk show host person. 
a lot of these people were people who no one knew, but they were given a platform that gave them star status because it was the only show of its kind reaching that specific demographic. That's what that's what shook me the most about watching it was not only is that true, but he knew that. And all of the wonderful examples of how he used his platform to affect change in the community, to give voice to original people, artists who would ultimately turn into legends. You know, that's that was that was my big take on I'd never heard of the show. I'd never heard of him before. I heard of Soul Train, <laughs> but never Soul. Again, I was just floored. You know, it's just not something that's echoing in the walls of the black community. And it's shocking that it's not. So I'm short, short run or not, it's just shocking. That was that was my my response to, to the viewing. Powerful, powerful piece. Yeah, I had the same feeling. I was like, oh my God, like, you know, all these Patty LaBelle and you know, just it was amazing. Um, but I think you brought up a really good point, um, especially in regards to what you said about Oprah, like, you know, she could never imagine having the, you know, caliber of stars in the, the beginning of people's stardom as, you know, Mr. Soul had. So does anybody want to answer, um, do you think that Mr. Soul could exist today? Can you think of any television show or modern day versions of Mr. Soul that are on TV right now or have aired in our lifetime? Arsenio Hall, who was what? What did I say? It was 15 years old on the show. Mm -hmm. uh, he clearly followed the footsteps there, was inspired. There was Oprah. There's Ellen. It's it's sort of that same sort of platform. Late Night Talk presently, currently, has lost its uh, impact, its thunder overall in terms of caliber of people because they all regulate their own information now through social media platforms. I would say, in, in my recollection, that's the stream of people that were connected to... Um, being the the show you wanted to get on the platform that could change your career you know to be to be on those platforms definitely um and you mentioned um ellen who you know herself set you know different standards because she was openly gay um and so representation not just for color it, um it's very important for those in the lgbtqia plus community as well how do you feel like that representation was on the show. Um, this is for anybody, by the way. Um, do you feel like it provided opportunities and visions for people, of, you know, women? They talked about the feminist movement on the show as well. Um, how do you feel that this show represented other different um, groups on the show, you know, especially for the time period that it was on in the late 60s and the early 70s? I would like to actually go back to, I think that was a great question that, um, that Anthony had jumped in on. I do think that we live in a, in a very different time where a lot of the, the stronger socio-political components of it probably couldn't work in this current environment for, for, for a number of different reasons. And I actually don't want to even go down that rabbit hole, but, but yeah, it definitely, represented a particular moment in time within American history. It was coming after a period of great trauma um, in terms of assassinations of, of civil rights leaders and, and even presidents just a few years after that. And so it was in, in many 
parts in response to the time because going back and you know looking at the documentary that was sort of what was happening it's like we need something to speak to this particular audience that doesn't have um, a, a television platform you know it's interesting um, when it starts you see like the Lucy show which actually I just recently discovered on Amazon Prime but I never knew exactly what um, period that show was in because it was in color and I knew that that was like the second iteration of her network uh, TV stuff um, and so it was interesting that that was like a point of reference for what was popular um, in the time but I, I think what was really great was how he incorporated women in particular there is a, a moment um, in the documentary with Sonia Sanchez is, is saying that even the civil rights movement was sexist and, and there were other um, movements that had been both uh, sexist and homophobic, um, which is a criticism that we've heard before. And so one of the things that he really did was to make sure that women were were um, highly represented um, both behind the camera and also in front of the camera as artists, which wasn't something that was very typical Black women in particular at the time. Um, as far as, you know, just perhaps the sexual fluidity, or I wasn't really quite sure exactly how Ellis identified, um, but just himself even just being comfortable occupying that space as a man, man who was something other than straight was, um, you know, impactful within itself. And to, to even have this period, this particular show where he's having a conversation with Minister Louis Farrakhan, um, and they're actually more than cordial towards each other um, was actually something that was um, quite remarkable considering um, a lot of the rhetoric that has come you know, out of that space, um, and especially back then. So um, there's, there's a lot of, um, I think, very organic and natural examples of representation that just felt very real back then, not so much rooted in any kind of agenda or we need to check a particular box, but just what felt organic to him as a Black creative, as a producer of the show. Yes, yeah, yes. And I'll a lot of points. Go ahead, Jennifer, my apologies. I was just going to touch on, I mean, the Black woman overall in the documentary held such a heavy presence. You know, I know that they spoke about how Ellis personally, you know, had really strong relationships with women. Um, but I love seeing that, you know, Soul catapulted so many Black women in their careers, you know, who were in front of the camera. But I love seeing, you know, the associate producer or the show photographer or, you know, even behind the camera, you know, there was so much representation. You know, those type of spaces don't always live in today's world or you can come by those you know so I was really pleased to see that that certainly was something that was important to him you know that that was a safe space for black women and to go back to your other question about you know a show kind of like Ellis's you know nowadays and kind of still going on you know the, the black woman you know train here of you know, I know it's not like a, a late night talk show, but for me, Insecure on HBO is a show that for me, you know, shares that Black female experience in an impactful way. Um, you know, I know, I think it was someone in the documentary said every night 
Ellis was changing someone's mind about black folks. And I feel like, you know, Insecure is one of those shows where even like my white friends watch it. And I feel like they have, you know, I don't know that they're, 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 oh, their eyes are opening or they have a little bit more understanding, you know? And so I feel like it's, it's a completely different show, but you know, that's a kind of a modern day show that I feel like is, is telling that black experience in a unique way. Yeah, Insecure, it's, you know, it's definitely, it's not Mr. Soul, but it is different and it's something that we haven't seen and it is very refreshing. So that, those are definitely great points. Um, and Anthony, I'm going to throw this question to you. Um, in the documentary, when um, Ellis was talking about um, his father being religious and the, and Jerome mentioned this as well, you know, the term gay was not in vogue at that time and we really weren't sure what Hayslip was. He was openly gay. And do you, do you remember at all the conversation he had with Farrakhan? Why do you think that he was, they were having this conversation and how did you, did you notice anything about their body language or anything like that, that you thought of, you know, stuck out? Well, I think that it seemed that Farrakhan was on as the documentary mentioned, um, because he knew the power of the platform that he was on. And I think Ellis invited him there, not to sandbag or ambush, but in an honest conversation, putting it all out there with um, what he wanted to ask, which was an important question. Certainly, I could imagine it was important to him because of who he was, but it didn't seem selfish in, in its intention. Throughout the documentary, you see him speaking on behalf of, of almost anybody who was marginalized. This happens to be something that, that was in context important to him. Um, but he he was respectful about it. He threw it out there. Farrakhan gave his response um, in which I'm sure uh, they were left with differences in opinions. <laughs> I'm certain. But for him to, for Farrakhan to go on, for him to have that response, it just put a lot of things in the space. I'm pretty sure it's probably one of the first conversations of its kind to ever air on television in the Black community, you know, uh, about um, sexuality and how faith and its intersect with people's lifestyle choices come into disagreements. So I think it was a powerful moment. And he he didn't try to make it anything other than placing placing the question out there for him to respond to. And, and I think he was satisfied with, with having uh, brought attention to it and, and getting the response. Absolutely, absolutely. And Jerome, how do you think a conversation like this would happen today? Was it possible to have a conversation like that today? I think so. I think we definitely, um, it would be a different looking platform, but the conversation could definitely happen. I mean, we've been having some really challenging discussions about race and, and um, you know, all kinds of, of, of difficult and, and sometimes um, divisive um, depending upon your your view, um, uh, topics actually in, in this space, this time that we're in um, as a society anyway. Um, and so I, I think in its own way, it's something that is actually happening, um, just not directly in terms of a talk show format where the arts is, is occupying equal space with discussion around um, social movement and activism. Um, so I, I definitely don't think the what I would call the flavor of of soul is something that I could imagine seeing now. Um, 
you know, I, I will sort of um, out myself and say as a person who was born in the 70s, uh, but not that early in the 70s, um, it, much of the aesthetic of, of it was really rooted in, in that, that decade you know, in the way that people sort of not just thought, but expressed themselves. Um, some of these performances, it just, it was so 70s, like watching Al Green and even the Black women who were like co-hosting with him, just the way that they uh, interacted. It, it, it was really a time capsule in that kind of way. Absolutely. And uh, Jennifer is someone who is Working with the ballet, Questlove asked, how different would our lives have been? What do you see as the lasting impact of Soul on American culture, music, literature, and dance? As I was watching this, this film, I was taking feverish notes um, because it was such kind of a, a mind-blowing, you know, experience for me. You know, I think the lasting impact was really on the artist that were elevated through that program that have now subsequently impacted the lives of, you know, generations. And I, and I think for me, one of the kind of full circle moments is Carmen de Lavalade is featured in the, in the documentary. And Carmen choreographed for Richmond Ballet in 2017 and 2018 on a former company dancer who now is our grant specialist, Maggie Small. And she and I worked together closely, you know, all the time. Carmen was honored. Um, she's one of the Lincoln Center honorees and jazz at Lincoln Center honored her a couple of years ago. And Maggie went up there and performed a Sweet Bitter Love, which was the piece that Carmen created for Richmond Ballet. And so I'm sitting here and I'm, I'm seeing her performance on Soul, you know, and then I, I saw her in our like choreography talk back at Richmond Ballet. And then I know Maggie, who's another woman of color like me, you know, so it's just this there's the impact, there's a legacy, you know, that I don't know if anyone knew who Carmen de Lavalade was at that time with her being on Soul. And right now, yes, everyone knows Misty Copeland, but like Anthony said, a lot of these people that were put on the show weren't well-known artists. You know, they were the true up and coming. I don't know if we really have a, a true show like that where it's someone that you do not know that doesn't have any buzz, that didn't have millions of views on their YouTube page and now they're getting on a show. You know, I mean, these really were kind of those underground black artists. So for me, it became kind of personal watching the show, seeing how full circle it came and seeing that that long lasting impact that you that you asked about. Yeah, that's great. Um, and I was saying, was saying things like, oh my God, look at these people on TV. Anthony, you <laughs> spend a lot of your time, um, you know, writing about things like this. How different would, you know, your career be if Soul existed today? Hmm. Well, let me first speak to what I think the difference is mm -hmm. and then speak to how I thought it would be different. Um, there was a, a point that was really just tugging on me, very sad to watch. Um, and that's the reason why it ended, that there had to be some form of, I don't know, assimilation or watering down or finessing Black culture so that it was palpable to a broader audience. And in that thread of delusion, Ellis said absolutely not, you know? very strong, brave, consequential decision for him to make at that time. And I don't know 
that we have art that exists as honestly as what I saw in this documentary. I just don't think we do. I think that he had the, the luck of being the first and having space from a network that didn't understand what it was presenting in the first place. <laughs> um, the lack of censorship at the time, and they talked about the delays and all that other stuff. Um, it was really raw and unfiltered and celebrated. And there's something about the truth being presented, you know? And, um, and I don't think it exists in this time. I think most all decisions are made with money first, reach ratings, right? Those are the things that impact um, likes, followers. So if it existed in this time, I believe that us still living in 2021, still being refreshed by a new version of a television series that comes out or a movie or a Black Panther, like the fact that we're still having these epiphanies on a medium that we've been included in for so long and just seeing ourselves glimpses in the past five years in new ways tells you how much honesty and authenticity is lacking in the work that is being produced. And if, we, and if it was still around today, I think that our issues with culture and understanding each other would be so much further advanced. So much further advanced. In that one show, you have broadcasting content that doesn't even exist today. A mainstream, I mean, Deaf Poetry Jam, that came on for poets. I can't recall the last thing except for modern dance um, with So You Think You Can Dance, right? You have the masked singer, right? But but what I was watching was stunning art that was unfiltered, that was raw. It was like watching a collegiate basketball game versus the NBA, right? The college students is fighting to get into the league. They bring in an A game and they land it all out there hoping that they can ascend to another platform. Where by the NBA, you know, they're gonna go out there and want their rings, all that other good stuff, but you know, you can sort of see the, the, the when people have settled in and gotten cozy and, and that passion, that drive kind of goes away. And I just thought how unfortunate it was that it does not exist. It just doesn't. And the absence of it is shocking that so far, what was that, uh, over what, 30 years ago, there was this platform that existed and we're so far advanced in technology and all those other things, but I, I can't name another show that is as honest, as diverse. I just, I can't. I, I mean, I just, I, I hope, I hope we find our way back to that. That's, that's my answer. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Yes. Yes. Jerome, I'm going to give you the last question. Who in your community, if you can think of anybody, um, if you remember at the end of the film of Mr. Soul, Hayslip says, although it's over, it's not the end. Black seeds keep on growing. This was a telegram that Hayslip sent to Patti LaBelle. You know, who in your community, artists, activists, leaders are carrying on Hayslip's work and legacy? Wow, that is a, actually a, a big question, Tamika. Uh, it was a beautiful moment in the documentary, and, and I love how they really went through the advancements that had happened um, since the ending of the show. I just think, I think there are a lot of artists and, and people, it's, it's hard to kind of 
um, identify like one person. You know, Jennifer had talked about um, Issa Rae um, in, in creating that show Insecure, which of course started from Awkward Black Girl. And so there's a lot of artists who are, you know, doing their thing. Again, just the beauty of, of their own individual creative expression and having platforms out there now, streaming and network TV and, and just everything that allows for the presenting of this wide range of Black art. Um, there's just a lot of, of people who are um, following, I think, in that tradition. I think it was interesting, uh, and Anthony actually pointed to this, I think, uh, I, I do think that Arsenio Hall probably was influenced directly. I, I don't know if he ever talked about it, but by Ellis, because you really did see um, Arsenio Hall back in the 90s in particular, trying to fill a space that wasn't there, that we didn't have the opportunities as Black artists um, all the time, if you weren't already like a huge mainstream star, to be on The Tonight Show or to be on The Late Show. And, and he created space with a major platform um, for um, a, a wide range of people of color. Um, but as far as like literature and dance and, and really the fine arts and, and high artistic um, culture, I think PBS does does actually do a lot um, in terms of individual presenters who have an opportunity to use that platform the way that he did. It was really just a shame that we, we know because of pressure, they weren't able to continue funding. But I do want to say that five years is a significant amount of time, even back then, to have been on the air. Absolutely. And Jennifer, we have one more last question. Uh, who do you think the next Hayslip, Ellis Hayslip is? Oh gosh, I think that goes to what Jerome was saying is, I don't know if if we even know who that is. Maybe the next Ellis Hayslip hasn't even been born yet. I, you know, I, I'm not sure. Um, you know, I do think though that, you know, there are a lot of people in the community who are doing um, some solid solid work to kind of, have those conversations that, you know, Soul had on air. Uh, MOB Ballet, which is Memoirs of Blacks and Ballet, which was founded by Teresa Ruth Howard. She's a former Dance Theater of Harlem uh, teacher, um, or excuse me, dancer. You know, she is, uh, creates Memoirs of, of Blacks and Ballet to kind of give us that history. And I think even in this conversation being with two other people who had no idea what soul was. I felt like I was going to come in and everyone's like, yeah, you didn't, you haven't heard about soul before, you know, which I'm glad I wasn't the only one having that history and, you know, being able to look back, you know, I think those components are, are truly what we need to kind of make that connection, you know, and also just to Anthony's point about how unfortunate it was that it ended. I, I agree with Jerome. That was a significant amount of time. You know, but Questlove said in the documentary, can you imagine if the show had gone on for 20 years? You know, and I kind of just like paused the documentary and thought to myself, do you know how many people growing up in the, you know, 60s, 70s, you know, early 80s would have been impacted by a show like Soul? 
you know what I mean, who would have been pushed to do their art, would have been felt seen and recognized if maybe they didn't have the quote unquote typical black experience. I'm a you know biracial woman. You know, what if that was on air when I was growing up? Would I have kind of identified with my, you know, black experience through that show even earlier as a child? You know, I mean, there are just so many what ifs, you know, so it was unfortunate that, you know, it ended. But I, I do think that we should, you know, show up and support those national and local artists who are doing the work to keep, you know, kind of history alive through art. That's what I was going to say about, about that, just to add an observation. As opportunity expands, programming just becomes more specific and you won't find it all in one place anymore. Um, and that's true of anything, really, at this point. Things are so niche now that channels broadcasting it's it's all you you have to go find exactly what you want uh but a lot of that work continues on i saw barbara ann tier from the national black theater um marvin sims he created that on a, a national scale with the national black theater festival so there are people doing the work to keep uh the work honest and to keep it original and to keep it uh connected you know august wilson his most famous piece his fences, but it's also the one that he had the most issue with because the producers gave him so much flack about doing the same thing that they that they asked him to do um, with his work. And as he gained in popularity and prominence, his voice gained in power. And it was his latter works that he celebrated um, because he felt they were more honest. So there, there are people all over still doing that work in the communities and they are extensions of that, I am certain. Um, as I saw it, I thought of so many people ran through my mind who do, who do that work. Um, so the work is alive and well, it's just not all in one spot anymore. Absolutely, absolutely, yes. Thank you for, again for all of you being with us tonight and lending your insights and expertise to this event. Mr. Soul and other independent lenses can, films can be seen on WHRO's Passport. Members can access these films and many other popular PBS programs at home or on the go. And once again, thank you so much, uh, Jennifer, Anthony, and Jerome for um, hanging out with us tonight and watching the movie and giving all of your brilliant insights. Uh, we all definitely appreciate you. It was so great and refreshing to hear your voice, your voices and insights. Thank you so much. You've taken your smart pill and you're better for it. Mr. Soul and other independent lens films can be seen on WHRO's Passport. Members can access these films and many other popular PBS programs at home or on the go with WHRO's Passport. Smart Pill is brought to you by the WHRO Emerging Leaders Board, a diverse group of young professionals in their 20s and 30s who believe in the power of public media to make their voices heard. The podcast is recorded in conjunction with PBS's Independent Lens series, featuring documentaries that bring communities together to discuss what matters most, from newsworthy topics and social issues to family and community relationships. The podcast is produced by Keith Darrow, Louis Estrada, John Miller, and Nisha Witt, and produced in association with WXRO. Sound recording and technical assistance by Victor Bowen. Special thanks to WXRO Director of Community Engagement, Nancy Rogan, and the WXRO Marketing Department. On behalf of the Emerging Leaders Board, I am your host, Keith Darrow, and we'll talk to you again when it's time to take your smart pill.